Geek Shock. Geek Shock. Geek Shock. Maple Leaf Matt. He doesn't like goose because he don't clock. But he does like a moose because he knows he can... Well... I need to watch your language because my mum listens to this podcast. The match show. Just, just, just consider yeah. ourselves yeah. lucky he's not eating pizza. Oh yeah. <laughs> Why? How does he eat pizza? <laughs> oh, let like, Kirsten tell you a tale. Oh, oh. <laughs> thumbs, one-handed spreading of the pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Spread. <laughs> what? Of what? The pizza. What? <laughs> Exactly. That's what I said. Oh, that that was hilarious. Andy, uh, Andy's way of separating a slice of pizza is to grab the piece he wants underhanded with his four fingers and then put his thumb on the piece next to it <laughs> to push them apart. Oh, wow. And So he's claiming both pieces, yeah, the and piece so, and its adjacent piece. So he, he's sitting there, and he's trying to grab this piece of pizza while we're shooting zombies, and the piece is not separating, so he keeps grinding his finger in, and he's <laughs> the pieces are sliding around, oh. and his fingers, and finally, I'm just staring at it, and then I look at him, and he looks at me, and he goes, yeah, okay, both of those are mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 451. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. There is no... K- well, that's right. Yeah. Maple Leaf Mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was waiting for his cue, and I'm, I'm like, uh, there's no fact check today. And so. we're here to talk Week and Geek without a fact check, Andy, so no one to bring the funny, apparently. Yeah, no. So this is gonna be, Prepare yourself for boredom. In fact, shut us off right now. Yeah. yeah just, just go to sleep. Yeah. It's, as far as you're concerned, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think? Write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. <laughs> Go listen to Jock Shock, not Geek Shock. Jock Shock. <laughs> That's like something you pay for up north. <laughs> Jock Shock. <laughs> hey, welcome to Jock Shock, eh? We're going to talk about some hockey. <laughs> uh, before we go into what we did in the book club. I just got a great sneer from Matt for that one. Yeah, now, he did. So. And, and a mental sneer from me. <laughs> Uh, we are reading for the book club The Private Eye by Brian K. Vaughn. Clap, clap. He's, it's, it's a Hollow Notes reference <laughs> that he's doing. I don't have a soundboard, so I had to make my own You're sound. right, because I won't let you have I, one. I had to make my own uh, sound. So much oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. I, I, got the, I got this mic, so let me get it's it. It's just Hold I on. haven't done no, it No, no. You, you don't get to do it either. <laughs> this is a but no, it's this mic. No soundboard oh, policy. Damn it. What? All, all of those edits will be done in post. Now, I want you to realize that, yes, Shock Monkeys, what you heard at the beginning, the song that introduced this show, that was the one and only Gaming Mill and his The Matt Show song. Oh, for fuck's sake. I know. Now poor Matt has to <laughs> listen, listen to, to the, the show? episode. Yeah. And Gaming Mill's alive? Like, right. what the f- <laughs> I told you. <laughs> it's a hell of a track. All right. And, and it's, it's, it, there's an extended track to this, so you only heard a small snippet of it, but I'll put the whole thing at the end of the show if you want to hear Gaming Mills' The Matt Show song, and you do want to hear it. Is guess. it anything like the, the version in uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, where they, they all three sing it? You don't care. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> 
What Apparently, happened? the part of uh, uh, Fact Check Andy will be played by me tonight. Because... <laughs> Bringing the unfunny jokes, apparently. <laughs> well, not not quite, Jeff, because you didn't laugh at it when you were done. Yeah, you're still... Oh, that's right. Yeah. I have to laugh hysterically at my own jokes yeah. to the point where I nearly suffocate myself. <laughs> and then nobody and else gets it. And your face hey, is hey. red like Santa Claus. Yeah, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Don't, don't forget the man spreading. Yeah. Okay, let me... No, no, I'm, a, I'm ahead of you. So. <laughs> you can't edit that out. Come on, Jeff. I will if you will. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, and and one of us is wearing shorts, and I'm not going to say who. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a lovely tea party. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you another a- Andy story with food. It just happened a uh, week and a half ago. All right. So we're eating rum cake, and we're at my house. <laughs> Oh, already, <laughs> already, and uh, you know I'm not a third world. This is not a third world country house. You know I got plenty of utensils, um, you know plates. plates, everything. So he goes, grabs the slice with his hand, and then come walks over to the dinner room table, sits down. Now my wife Paulette looks at him, and goes and like with disgust, and goes, "Do you want a fucking plate?" <laughs> <It was so laughs> oh, and Andy, oh. oh no, I'm okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It, well, it, she also pointed out at the end of the evening when she looked under the table, there was this little ring of food around oh. Andy's feet. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just you want a fucking plate? <laughs> were, were were you having to do a quick sweep job before you let the dog out so it wouldn't clean everything up? No more dog, Jeff. Oh, oh I'm sorry. No more dog. Wow. Anyways, wow, I'm leaving. Okay. No. <laughs> No more dog, Jeff. What's what's the name of your dog? Let us know it. Um, <laughs> oh god! But the private eye, Brian K. Vaughn. Cla- Are they clap. watching you? Yeah, I, I can't even say the goddamn thing. Um, I just finished it a couple nights ago. That's a hell of a read. This has been my favorite graphic novel that we've done for the book club. Oh. And it's kind of hard to get because what I didn't realize when we went forward with it, you can get it at panelsyndicate.com, which is a digital download, pay what you want. I mentioned that before. But that's really kind of the only way you can get it. At least that's the way it was intended. There might be some hardcover versions out there, but those are rare, and that's why they're more expensive. So I, if you're not used to reading, reading a comic digitally, start with this one because there's a reason they made this a digital comic. They're, nice. It's part of the statement of the book. It's a future noir book. It, it is a, a cautionary tale about the dangers of the Internet. It is a satire of L.A., and there's so many layers to this story. So I, I'm highly recommending you check it out. The Private Eye, Brian K. Vaughn. I already put my review up on the book, shot, uh, book club page on the Facebook. Book shock. Book shock. Actually, I kind of like that. Book yeah. shock. I, I still wish we'd gone with book orgy, but... There's something there. Yeah, well, Gross, we, we but... were voted down. <laughs> it's okay. You're blowing your lines, but that's... God damn it. <laughs> Freaking, I, I can't I can't use that song because I've already used the Matt Show song at the beginning. I know. And I almost need to use the song now. Oh, no. You're staying with my song. <laughs> okay? It better be good, Gaming Mill. I'm going to listen to this tomorrow. But There's I just got to ask, farts why, you, why you got to oh, put a pub up a front for me? <laughs> I'm a spy, but I'm your side to see. Said, of course, wow, you're guys. just going all out, huh? 
He I is. You. He's you. bringing the funny, baby. Watch <laughs> out, world. Somebody out there is laughing at it, and that's all that matters to me. <laughs> oh, babe. <laughs> right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm you're gonna blowing out from me. The right folks. people will get it. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. And it also, <gasps> it also T-shirt. It also frustrates Torgo. And there that's, you go. That's a mystery science like theory. Yeah, okay. it is. It's a mystery science theory. Fuck them. <laughs> that's a Joel Hodgson quote. Yeah. What? Fuck them? Yes. Oh. Uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, it was an interview when he was talking about some of the jokes that he wrote for Mystery Science. And oh. They're like, why don't you write your jokes to be a little more mainstream? And he says, I write the jokes the way they are, and the right people will get them. So they well, well, so we can still use it. They're not using it as a marketing line. Oh, right? yeah. We could. I'm not going to stop you. Geek shock. The right people will get us. I actually like that a lot. Yeah, yeah that's actually not a bad shirt. No. All right, get on it, Jeff. It's, it's right. right there with we take the work it. out of not safe for work. Yes. <laughs> I still like that one. <sighs> Is it safe? <laughs> Tell me what geeky things you do this week. I... Oh, I got a good one. Oh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I didn't mean to You're excited, though. <laughs> no, it was no, funny because, no. like, we heard you, but nobody uh, <laughs> in, in podcast land heard you. I do, you were, I do that I often. I do that often. I know. I know. Um, I, did I mention I got the first two issues of the comic Tarna? You mentioned it to me. I don't think you mentioned it on the show. Okay. So I got the first two issues. Um, nice Alex Ross covers. Seeing Alex Ross do... Uh, do some heavy metal reference. Now, for the listeners. Oh, yeah, yeah, out. okay. Listeners, right. I, I keep forgetting, even though I'm wearing headphones and holding a mic and staring at you <laughs> talking into your mic with your headphones. Uh, Matt, I'm just used to him holding a vibrator. So, so that's, yeah, yeah that's. Got to do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Tarna is a character from a story from the heavy metal movie that came out in the early 80s. Um, the uh, heavy the metal movie. Hmm? There's two of them, right? The original in the 80s and then the and, heavy metal 2000. Yeah. And we kind of forget that exists. Yeah. Really. Mm. Uh, Mike inside. Anyways, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, he was in Fire and Ice, too. But heavy metal, it, it had a number of stories from the magazine. Tarna was actually written, created for the movie. It's a kind of uh, whacked gonzo fantasy. <clears throat> She's uh, the movie she, or the comic? Uh, the 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 movie, the Tarna in the movie. Okay. The comic is the further adventures of. Okay. Now, one of the things that I found really interesting is uh, a comparison of sexism from the early '80s to the sexism of today. And it was really funny because Tarna was very much a 14-year-old boy's, you know, uh, warrior woman uh, fantasy archetype, right? She had this long flowing white hair that she made look good. And and the scene opened with her being full frontal nude. And this is back when women, you know, had had, uh, hair. Down there, <laughs> what what did he say? Oh, my dork is bigger. Did he yeah. say dork? <laughs> my, look at my dork. <laughs> He's referring to his that was Den. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So and she does like this swim to get her her uh, her battle uh, outfit. Yeah, her battle outfit, 
which uh, consisted of basically three patches of leather, uh, one over each boob and one over her hair down there, and then some tall boots. And then she had this great gold sword. And She was actually a, a badass warrior woman. She had this uh, flying bird-like thing uh, called Granger. And she was mute. She didn't talk. She just, uh, and she was Tarna, the last Tarakian, because Tarek was the warrior who swore an oath to protect the people of the peaceful city. Uh, and then the barbarians came, uh, created by the Lochnar, and they, they. As the Lochnar will do. Yeah, the Lochnar is this orb of evil. Uh, that was uh, the framing device for the movie. You're right. This belongs on the side of a van. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. It's it's just awesome. Um, Danny, Danny. The comic, you, you, you still have a sexy Tarna. And, in fact, it opens with her completely nude. Obviously, a uh, uh, homage to, you know, the movie. But she eventually gets dressed in this uniform. That covers her from neck to toe. It's form-fitting, right? And it's got strategic armor plates that, you know, highlight all the good parts. <laughs> but it was interesting because I'm, like, looking at this thinking, okay, Tarna is not going to be in some ridiculous leather bikini armor. She's going to wear real armor that protects her. And then they give this form-fitting thing that totally reveals her figure. The other thing, <clears throat> her face in the comic is very girl, very girlish, kind of a rounded features, uh, little pursed lips. I mean, she, re she, looks, she looks like a teen girl, sort of. And in the movie, that Tarna had a very mature, beautiful woman's face. Her, there's, you're not looking at that face and thinking, oh, maybe she's 15 or 14. Yeah, I, I like how they did it in the movie because yeah. it made it seem like she'd been through some shit. Yes. And had come out the other side not completely unscathed. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And um, in, in, in the comic, totally looks like a girl. And then finally in the movie, Jeff, you may remember... Her it was rotoscoped. Rotoscope yes. is where they film and then do the animation over. And her moves were very grounded. Uh, there's a really cool scene in a bar where she takes a mug, a big tankard of beer, and bam, smashes it across a barbarian's face. And and the way she would use her sword was very grounded. And her feet were planted in the way her body moved. And in the comic, it's all of these butt out, turn the butt and the boob uh, out poses when uh, she's running. You, you know that absurd? Um, it's like the pencil skirt run. It's where a woman is depicted running, but her knees are side by side, and it's right. just her shins that are like running in opposite <laughs> directions. It was stuff like that, and it was really funny because... I was looking at that, and I'm, I'm like, you know that from that costume, although the costume did get shredded and, like, would expose a bit of her belly and her leg, you know that they were like, oh, we're not going to go for that sexist baloney, and we're going to draw a nice, realistic costume. But then the poses, her face, all of that 
was a modern sexy that that you know posing for the camera kind of exactly thing. and the poses and all that whereas the the movie very grounded very mature looking but <laughs> dressed in the ridiculous you know uh patent leather bikini so it was really interesting looking at the two and comparing the two um i just it, it was interesting. It's like, all right, more things change the more they stay the same. Huh. So, but um, I I enjoyed the comic. All I right. think I think it's nice. And man, those covers, those covers are gorgeous. Well, Alex Ross. Yeah, if I had the money, man does no wrong. Yeah, I'd buy the prints, but Ooh. those prints from his website are woof. So, but it was exciting. Too bad the Tarna Funko Pop is expensive. How much of it? Uh, I've been seeing 140. Yikes! Yeah, yep. That's so. a that's almost like juggernaut level. I could only hope walk into Walgreens a year oh. from now and there's 50 Tarnas. <laughs> uh, I'd buy them all. I would spend 140 bucks buying them all off the shelf <laughs> and just just cuddling with them <laughs> at night. That's a that's a vision. Just just pour them in my bathtub and roll around and. <laughs> Also yeah. a vision. I, it, you okay. know, it was it was it was it was, yeah, this is it was we a lot more about K today because I was at that perfect age for that movie and that scene to be all like, uh, you know. But she was it. It was actually she was a warrior woman. She actually uh, kicked their ass in the end. It was a brutal fight and stuff. But there were you know there were there were oh my goodness sexist elements. But actually she was also a badass character and i've always i've always liked that uh reflecting back on that so it was cool it was very interesting i'm glad i think it was michael uh who uh yeah. posted that the comics were out there because i had no clue none i'll tell you what i i don't think i know anybody more tuned into everything happening in comics not superhero related than michael jones yeah the He's no the spandex he, and capes he's the one that suggested the private eye yeah and it's amazing I, I, Oh, so look at the little smile he's got. Yep. So, so what was getting you all happy and jolly, Matt? I forget now. <laughs> no, I don't forget. Uh, I'm getting ready, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. Uh oh. About being eight years clean, getting ready to go back into World of Warcraft. <laughs> what? What? They just released our new expansion today. What? And it's bringing it back to like the vanilla feel. From back in the glory days from when I played. And I think I might play around with that. When I'm not playing and destroying you in War, uh, Warhammer. Right. Yeah. You got to do something in that downtime. Exactly. So it's the vanilla. What's, what's, what are they changing to make it so vanilla? Um, taking away a lot of the like fluff they added from then till now. And making it Can more. Can you still be a panda and a car driving goblin? Yes. Then, then I'm not interested. <laughs> wow, I'm it, interested. It's, it's more, it's more uh, horde versus alliance again. Oh, okay. So I'm just centered around that. Because man, that that was the last, that was the last add-on I, I put on it, and that's what got me right out. The moment I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try some chaos. They got this new goblin thing going on. Then I'm on that main city, and everybody is driving dragsters around that city. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like how you said I want to try some chaos. Oh, is that? Yeah, <laughs> good point. 
Horde. Horde, thank you. <laughs> but but he, it's a Warhammer 40 game. Chaos. Ah. Yeah, chaos. Warhammer. Chaos. Warhammer, Warhammer, Warhammer. Thieves. All of them thieves. Yeah. So, yeah, I was. That's. Wow. If my computer wasn't so old. Doesn't take a lot to run World of Warcraft. Yeah. The game is 2004. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you actually, that's you might be able to do this. I might and they des- they they program it properly to work on shittier computers. That's how the that's how the. Well, uh, it sounds uh, like it's tailor made for me. <laughs> are you forming a guild? Uh, Can I join? I, people I used to play with back in vanilla are now coming back. Oh, and oh, they are. So oh. I'll be joining. Gangs, with, no. get, gangs getting back together. Again. They, they would yeah. just gank me. Like like five of us. No, well, we do that anyway. Yeah, out of love. And sure. I can't believe I almost I almost want to have a problem installing it so I don't have to play. <laughs> like I can't believe like I was eight years clean. No, yeah. no, no, no. I get it. I get it because I picked up the uh, the board game for Big Trouble Little China and was looking that thing over, and I was like, eh, it's only it maxes out at four players, so I'm like I can't buy this. That that was the reason. I was like, it, it, not enough player. One to four players. We got a bigger gaming group than that. We can't that's the that. reason, huh? Yeah, not the. I see those guys twice a year. <laughs> but when I see you, it's not four of us. Yeah, it's like so eight it's, or nine or ten. So that's yeah. one of the problems with that uh, Warhammer Talisman that I bought. It maxes oh, yeah. out at four players, so we can never play it. Who designs a game nowadays for f- one to four? Many, like, many people. Families. Uh, I think I think it's like a family thing. Although it'd be nice if, if they could make it more open-ended. Uh, you know, so you can have four, you can have eight, you can have sixteen. Yeah, but we, uh, we, uh, uh, the game optimizes at four, but you can play it with like six or eight, yeah, or something. Although yeah. the big trouble in Little China game comes with forty-one minis, I believe that that that's calling to me. That's calling to me. Big yeah, time. really. Are they already painted? No. Oh, it was awesome. That's why it's calling to them because exactly. they're not painted, yeah. and they will never will be painted if I buy it. Exactly. Because as all. People who get minis know they just don't get painted. Yeah. Did you see? There's a there's a Street Fighter mini game on Kickstarter. I was had my eye on. That could be fun. Yeah, but it's like um, it's 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 almost like between Hero Clicks and Warhammer 40k, but Street Fighter or Warhammer. Sorry. So you have like one or two or three fighters or whatever, and they each got their data card or data whatever it is. It's a little skirmish game. Yeah. All right. Kill team. Kill team. Kill team. We needed to bring that up. Kill team. This is the Warhammer moment, people. You guys can go to sleep now. Yeah, this is us. This is us. Uh, Games Games Workshop. (laughs) It's fun. You don't want to try anything new because you're just set in your ways. That's why he's called 80s Jeff. 80s Jeff. Jeff. (laughs) If this was like, I don't know, let's see. Back to the Future, the board game, or Warhammer 40K, Back to the Future tabletop game, you'd be all over that. But no... I'm just not much of a tabletop gamer anymore. Anymore? anymore. Which one did you play? <laughs> exactly. You were never <laughs> you a mean tabletop. recently? <laughs> I'm waiting for the what's, picture. What's the last board game you remember playing? Jeff. Ugh. Um, that one that we played at... Uh, at Barry's house. Yeah. When Barry still lived here. Yeah. So wow. six years ago. Yeah. Wow. I don't even remember what the game is. You know why? Because it was six years ago at Barry's house. Doctor Vlog, people. Jesus. I just remember it had like tiles you had to flip over and it modified like the pattern on the floor. Oh wait, that was that um to, like you're all trying to escape or something. Was like it a that. dragon? No. It looked like a dragon. Um, oh. Because it like there was like a, a grid 
map that comes in the board game, and then you're all basically trying to get out, but uh, different tiles flip over and modify the layout. Of you the know room. what this one is, Kay? What is that? What? The one with the dungeon tiles that you're trying to get in and get the treasure, but leave an alive. Oh, yeah. Uh... I think back then it was Dungeon Quest. Yes, I think that is. Now it. it's like, I think it's Dragonfire Castle. Okay. Okay. It, it's gone through a couple iterations. Yeah, those, that was fun. So I remember that. Well, clearly then, not. Cause and, <laughs> well, I, I remember playing that one, but then the other ones we've always played like card games, like the the DC deck building. Don't you talk bad that. about that game. That was I'm not best. talking bad about <laughs> okay. it. Okay. You asked me what games I remember playing. And then, okay. of course, uh, well, we said tabletop games. The, the stock market one with the bull and the bear cards. Oh, ah, pit. 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 Oh, that pit. one was. Well, yeah. let's just say playing, likes that one. Play, playing against your wife and Deb is dangerous. Hilarious. Dangerous. Yeah. But f- you're also right. Hilarious. Uh huh. I'm sorry. The most ultimate game of pit has already been played, so yeah. I have no need yeah. to play pit ever again. No, no, no. He, his trumps yours. Yours was good. He broke a table. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you're right. That's hard to beat. Yeah, but he broke the game. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I gotta say, they are Shit's the two thing. of the most determined women I have ever met in my life. When they play that game, yeah, they're both like competitive. they're both going at each other. What do you mean that? And the rest game? of us yeah. are just <laughs> the rest of us are just fodder. <laughs> Any game? Well, yeah, you're right. Jeez, they're competitive. Dangerous. Deb, Deb more so. Like Deb gets. Oh my god! Remember when we played the. Uh, I uh, there was one I forget which it might have been pit. No, I think I think it was a. We played one game where uh, we were calculating the t- scores, and at the end, Deb leans back and she's like, "I won," and she has that <laughs> smile on her face, and she's just so pleased. Uh, Munchkin's always fun too. I like that game. I can't wait for the 40k version. That might, like right now, the, my favorite iteration of Munchkin is X-Men version of Munchkin. That one's good. Mm. We played that a couple times. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, uh, I almost got munchkin out because we played a whole lot of Munchkin. Yeah. But, but it's been so long since I played, I'm definitely on board for well, Munchkin. But we, th- this one here is cool because, like, you have the blob. Okay, the blob is a villain or whatever, comes into play. Okay. <laughs> and it's he gets plus whatever. For how much candy's on the table? Yeah, <laughs> so it's like that's plus, phenomenal. Plus one yeah. for every sugary drink. Another plus one for every. Uh, uh, that's the type most of powerful candy. card in any gaming group. Yeah. Well, Iceman is if you have any any, any, ice, drinks, any drinks with, with ice. ice in it. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty. Is I'm it Cipher who yep. gets the bonuses for any electronic devices on the table? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, dude, the pyro, first time- pyro, any candles or like if you have a fireplace. Yeah. Yeah. Any as soon as that that came up, I was like, okay, they it, actually found a way to make this Munchkiny. It was really cool. Yeah, that's my favorite right. one so far. Yeah. Well, I spent the week getting super excited, way into, and then getting really disappointed with No Man's Sky. Next, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I was wondering if you played it because I've been watching a few videos. Played it. I lived it. Do right up until the 1.55 update. All right, I'll get there. <laughs> I'll get there. <laughs> no, no, I know, but I mean, No Man's Sky next. Now, you to, played to, it? to back it a little bit. Okay. Uh, no Man's Sky came out to what, 2016? Uh, I enjoyed yes. it when it came out, but it wasn't the game that we were promised. And a lot upset a lot of people. But uh, Hello Games, the cr- a small group of creators that made this game, 
I give them credit. They worked diligently over the next couple years and added on to this game for free to basically make it the game they promised. And it's kind of there now. The latest update happened, uh, what, a couple weeks ago? And No Man's Sky next. And that's where they added the multiplayer in. And it is a space questing game. You know what? It hit me at work today. Um, This is going way back. This is going to age me quite a bit this year online no no go back it's going back further than that when i hit this all right there was a educational game company in the early 80s called spinnaker oh wow yes uh i first encountered them in fourth grade and we had that apple computer in the back of the back of the classroom and a small library of spinnaker games and you know, like like Snooper Troopers, which was a, a detective game. And then there was one called In Search of the Most Amazing Thing. And mm. in this game, you inherited this machine from your uncle. And you had to go out and farm things. To, you had to find your own food. And then you had to find other settlements. And they were really hard to find. The world was really spread out. You would get lost like crazy in this game, and you find settlements and do trading in search of this most amazing thing. That is what this game is. It is exactly that Spinnaker game, except on a modern level. You wake up, you don't know who you are, but there's some entity calling to you to the center of the universe, and you have to go there. And yes, this game has billions of planets in it. But what does God need with a starship? Exactly. That's what you should have asked the first goddamn time you woke up. But it's if you're into the crafting exploration games out there, this thing is super immersive. And it's one of those games that really suck me in. Like, I get obsessed with it. Yes. I, I, Wednesday, I played it for eight hours straight with re- really no break. And the only reason I stopped is because the controller ran out of power. Yep. And it kind of forced me to. It wasn't like, got to get food, go to the bathroom. No. No. <laughs> no. I could grab well, a snack. To, to be good. fair, his wife is an enabler, and she was bringing him food <laughs> oh. so he could continue playing without having and to And an adult stop. diaper. My wife Where is wonderful. Is she uh, so changes wonderful. the bedpan and rotates his <laughs> IV. <laughs> but it is so good, and, and it scratches that itch of crafting it scratches the itch of discovery and exploration i can't wait to go to the next planet every single time and then as jeff mentioned a couple of days ago they patched it again to from 1.154 to 155 it took it all away and then something broke in my game where i could no longer discover planets i, I could go to them and i could go scan the the creatures there and the fauna and discover all the new things. But the game wouldn't remember that I did any of that. Normally when you land on a new planet, it plays this, this just crescendoing music. And it tells you what this planet is, that it's, that it's highly volcanic and there's a lot of creatures, but very little plant life. And there's things called sentinels and they are the caretakers of all these planets. And if you fuck with things, they come after you. It's kind of like the chaos meter in, Grand Theft Auto. You mess with things, these things come after you. They're, they're the police. And it, this tells you uh, their level, whether they're, they're docile or more they're, you, you touch a stone and they'll come after you. 
So it, when you land, this is you get that little thing saying this is the planet, and it logs that you are the person that discovers this planet because there's other people out there. You can name the planets and the creatures as much as you want in these games. When you discover things, they're yours you, to name. And anybody oh, I else just to realize like dildo rock. Oh yeah, there's penis a, face. Th- there's a thing on there that you can like cl- that this hey this planet has been named something awful if you want to tell on somebody you know. <laughs> But you can go to a planet that someone else has discovered and named things, and it's, it shows that you're not alone in this universe. That's kind of neat. But my game no longer allows me to discover planets at all. I, I didn't realize this until I went after, through four different star systems. <laughs> and I'm like, why, why I can't, I'm going through my discovery list. Why aren't these systems on here? Uh, because when you discover things, you're given something called nanites. That's another form of currency that you can use to build things up for your character, or your ship, or your exosuit, or whatever. And so I can no longer get the nanites for discovering things, so I can't build my character up. There's one thing I can do if anybody's having this problem: is the game spawns various things throughout the planet because it's it's basically building the planet once you go there. And there are little settlements you can go to. There are transmission towers, all sorts of different places. But there's only two different kinds of settlements that have landing pads on them, a space trading area and then one that's kind of a a smaller trading area. If I land on that pad, then it will discover the planet for me. It will do what it's supposed to do. But if I land on the planet anywhere else, it will not discover, it will not remember it and therefore everything i have done in the last 10 hours of this game is for nothing (laughs) as far as the discovery of this game which is the whole point of it so yeah the patch broke my game so i'm a little frustrated with it so now i'm gonna have to go back and play baseball again to see how my insmith pitcher is doing because (laughs) i I can't until i can discover plans again there's no point in playing the game right so wow, I love this game. I, uh, I like I said, it's it's it. I get obsessive with this game, and those are dangerous games for me. Other games that do this for me is uh, Civilization. That's another one that once I'm in it, I'm in it for hours. Yeah. Have you gone to the forums and like checked things out? Yeah, or? I sent a I sent a uh, bug uh, report to them. So, and I'm not the only one having. And I'm there's I've gone on the forums, and other people are having this problem. Okay, it seems like something they'd fix rather quickly. So hopefully they uh, will. I, I hope they can figure it out. I wish I could back up the patch to an earlier version. So, but I put in about 24 hours of this game this week. I did watch a news uh, feed from the CEO of that company from uh, before the original No Man's Sky launch, and they were talking about how you could roll up on like two armadas fighting each other, and yes. you could pick sides. Yes. You can do that now? Yes. Okay. That is now in the game. That seems like something I would like. Yeah. Although it's a lot more simple than it, that complex sound. But it, yeah, technically okay. you're right. But yeah, if you go to Armada, you can choose to help them, or you could shoot them down with the pirates. Or so it's, you got you got choices. Okay. And there are other players that can enter your game, and you can enter a friend's game, and anything that you build and get during that time will come back to the game with you. Can you fight each other? Yeah, you can shoot the other people if you're so inclined. Okay. And it. In fact, I've considered it. I know Froyog Soft Serve's been playing this game a lot because I'd see him on my friends list, and I, I get, uh, I get tempted. Justin, just letting you know, if I, if I enter your game, 
run. <laughs> what else you do, gentlemen? I gotta look up the title. Okay, you look up the title. Uh, before this podcast happened, like right before, I ten minutes prior, I finished the latest Paul Tremblay book, Cabin at the End of the World. This is now my running novel for best novel of the year. It is friggin' amazing. I mean, I, I have to thank Elizabeth White for introducing me to Paul Tremblay in the first place with Head Full of Ghosts. Uh, this is just as harrowing as that book, if not more. It, And I was a little trepidatious about starting this book because I knew going in that it is a home invasion style story, and I don't care for home invasion stories mm. at all. But I also trust Tremblay as a author and i'm glad i did but i do want to warn you this is paul tremblay horror and paul tremblay writes tragedies in horror like nobody else so be ready for a harrowing ride but one thing i will say about the paul tremblay books whether you do that one whether you do uh, disappearance at devil's rock uh or cabin at the end of the world the less you know about going into this book the better let the, the story just guide you from the beginning. That's, that's me telling you that it's a home invasion story is all you need to know going in because it's a lot more than that. And he does books on a tightrope walk where you're not sure if there's a supernatural element or not. And he does that so well that really makes you wonder what side of that fence on this story you decide on. And I go back and forth on it. So did you get that title of what you're looking at? Yes. What you got? It's a series on YouTube called Extra Credits. I love Extra Credits. Yeah. I love history. So I, I catch up on a whole bunch of history things when I get the chance. And uh, Extra Credits has some interesting stuff. They talk about interesting things that you don't commonly hear about. They have a thing on the Empire of Mali which is actually incredibly interesting. But the thing that I watched that was most bone-chilling, their episodes are like 10, maybe 15 minutes long. Yeah. They have a six-episode run where they talk about the Spanish flu pandemic. And it was really funny because I'm um, this thing actually started during World War One, and I was totally... Uh, Reminded of Captain Trips from oh, really? from the stand, because uh, because uh, how deadly the flu was, and the the series talks about how unprepared they were for it. Um, it talks about how they did combat it and the lives that it cost, and it was insane because it did it killed m- tens of millions of people. Wow. It actually uh, killed more people than the than the war did, and it was it was really interesting to see because it's kind of funny in most textbooks the the Spanish flu is a footnote, right? Oh, World War One happened, whole chapter, and at the end of the chapter, and there was a flu epidemic that killed millions, and boom, and it actually was a huge, huge thing. It talks about the science of uh, microbiology and uh, epidem- 
uh, what is the term? Epidemiology. Yeah. Um, and it, it was also one of the uh, the things that really laid the groundwork for virology going forward, mm-hmm. where they were yes. actually studying how viruses yep. are, you know, combated by the body and what other things, you know, what external elements they could introduce to help the body combat. Mm-hmm. Vi- yeah. viral infections yeah because they were somewhat familiar with bacterial at that time but right. not not nearly what that brought about mm-hmm. yeah no that uh they talked about afterwards that was what prompted the founding of the cdc mm-hmm. yep. all of the uh various um countries of the world creating these emergency uh disease things the whole pattern of every year they try to predict what flu is going to be nasty and you know create the vaccine for it that's where flu vaccines come from they recently i didn't know this uh dug up a body that was frozen from that time that had died from the spanish flu and they they did an autopsy and found out that the spanish flu was uh, the one of the earlier versions of H1N1, the blue flu, uh, the bird flu. I like the blue flu. Blue flu, that that you get on Andoria. <laughs> but it was it was it was fascinating, and it was really scary too. The, the in in 1918, that flu spread like wildfire because of troop transports in World War One, and went across the world. And that was like, you, you read that thinking, 1918. It's a hundred years later, and how much faster the world moves, it actually kind of puckers your ass because it could move so fucking fast. There, there's, you, you can't even conceive of it. Wow. And yeah, I'm all for it. If, 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 uh, if you're sick, you should not be allowed to fly. Yeah. Honestly, you shouldn't. Well, well dude, this is the thing. Like they should stop you right there at the it, gate. It like. was. It was. It was. Uh, well, part of the problem. I know that you don't is, know you're sick. I get it. Well, no, but. but not just that. But your mere presence in the airport is just as deadly as you getting on an airplane yeah. because you come into contact. You don't even realize when you go into an airport how many hundreds of people you come into contact with. You know, not you know that. And that's even if it's just a communicable disease. Now, if it was airborne. And you're just breathing, and the other people around you are breathing it. It has the same effect as if you get on an airplane well, and well, fly that's, that's to another country. But dude, like, that's stopping the thing. people from flying and, and not even getting to the airport. You, if you're sick, yeah. you should not be able. Should be against the law for you to go to the fucking. Yeah, airport. but dude, 1918, there Leave were no house. airplanes. I know. Ships I'm just saying now, nowadays. Carrying. Nowadays, it, it, but, but it's, it's. I think, I think the problem is, is that it's going to spread. No matter what you yeah, do, that's basically. one of the things about this. Now there were certain circumstances. One of the chill- chillingest is it started in the trenches in Western Europe, and it went to, through troops, and then the troops would go to camp, and then the camps would move more troops, and eventually, it was literally they could plot on maps troop movements through camps. And they would track the flu. And it was amazing. And it, it, it was getting so bad that railroad cars that were carrying troops would arrive at their destination with a car full of dead men or dying men. It was that bad and that fast. And it was insane. They banned public gatherings 
right? So people don't get together. And then you would have the troops coming home from the war and people would get out in the streets and be like, yay, the troops are back. And they'd have an outbreak just from that. Yeah. Uh, there was a big celebration in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was a big scandal because that was tens of thousands of people died. And uh, health people were like, Mr. Mayor, don't do this big. Uh, they were having a big festival or something. And they were like, don't do it. Don't do it because it's that bad. And he was like, nope, we're going to do it. We have to do it for morale and keep the morale of the people up. And it's it shot through Philadelphia and the stories. It's like it, 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 it's really funny. I'm I'm willing to bet Stephen King researched the hell out of it because I'm reading this and all of the shit from the stand keeps coming back the piles of bodies where hospitals were full then they were filling the cafeterias of the hospitals offices of the hospital eventually they they couldn't even take people in there were people who had dead bodies in their home for weeks at a time because they had run out of coffins to bury and they, they there's so many people were dead they couldn't even count. and this is in the modern world. It's not like we're talking about some podunk village that, you know, oh, they, they, they're too primitive. They can't handle it. 110 years ago. Oh, this was this. It was amazing. It was just act. It totally blew my mind watching this. And extra credits, as you know, Todd, they're very good. They, they, and they're animated. They, they, they do these nice. That was one of the other things about this because they're doing this cartoony animated thing while they're talking about this truly awful happening and it was it was really really good and so look up extra credits and look up the pandemic of 1918 because and they don't just do history yeah they they actually specialize in uh game theory design yeah that's their main thing and they also have a side series on the history of science fiction mm-hmm. and a psychology series too, they, yeah. so they cover all sorts of subjects so extra credits, yeah, I fully behind you on that discovery. It's 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 amazing, and their history one I really like because they touch on things that a lot of people don't talk about. So you can actually get some history that you hadn't known much about. So it it's very cool. But yeah, that that pandemic was something. Like the Korean War, the Forgotten War. Yeah, they call that one the Forgotten War, right? Uh huh. I remember. Yeah. I- Remembered existence. No, I know, but oh. like they don't talk about it. Like hardly any. Well, history professors, they don't glaze over it. But because war was never officially declared, it was considered a policing action and not an actual war, except for the people who fought into it. And you know, they still consider it a war, and you know, rightfully so, the number of people that fought and died. Nobody but talks about the War of eighteen twelve anymore. I it's know. true. The forgotten wars, man. It's probably also because it, it basically you, you went from World War II pretty much right into Korea and then from Korea right into Vietnam. And Vietnam was so publicized because that, you know, that was really where you started getting televisions in every household. So that was it, a big that, one. that's why it kind of became the Forgotten War because everybody was suddenly focused on Vietnam and it seems like everybody knew about that one, whereas 
not a lot of people were paying attention to what was going Korea. on in Korea. Thank I'm, goodness for MASH. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mentioned the uh, the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary. Yes, yes indeed. I, I really do recommend that because that's got some mind-blowing stuff in that. It's, it's pretty good. It's amazing. Vintage Ken Burns. All right, we should do some news. Let's get some new stuff. How about some news you don't give a shit about? <laughs> that's, that's that was actually pretty good. Okay. I'll let you guys know I'm the MVP of this show. Oh, okay. According to my Coke can, your Coke it says, it says MVP? MVP on the side. Anybody who a- takes Coke thinks they're an MVP. What does it say? <laughs> share share Coke with MVP, Matt's yeah, valuable. Matt's valuable penis. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the name of the episode? Am well, I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say Matt's valuable Paulette, but sure. <laughs> if you want to go with penis, Kirsten, we know where your brain's at. It, hey. was, all, it was all that man spreading talk at the start of the. Oh, you know, okay. Was. I give my friends credit, Jeff. What are you doing? He's giving the wife credit. That's why he's doing. <laughs> so that's a smart man. <laughs> no, you don't give a shit about. According to Variety, some. Big shakeups are coming to Sony's superhero offerings. Venom isn't just the newest attempt to tap into the R-rated superhero market, proven by Logan and Deadpool, but a way into introducing its own universe with characters like Silk, Jackpot, and Nightwatch, all of which have movies being developed around them. Sony's currently looking for screenwriters for these films as they gear up for their DCEU and MCU competitor, SUMC, Sony's Universe of Marvel Characters, (laughs) or SUMC, as I think I'm going to call it. (laughs) Oh, I like that, SUMC. Yep, (laughs) yep. There's this interview, if you can find it, I think it's still on YouTube, with Kevin Feige and uh, I forget the lady's name, who is the the head of Sony, when they're they're when they're doing the promotions for uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, they're they're talking about that movie, and this lady starts rolling into the Venom movie and this extended u- that didn't have a name at that time, the extended Spider-Man universe, and Feige turns and gives her this look like. I wasn't expecting you to talk about this, or or it's either that, or I, he wasn't aware that they were doing. But you know, here they are to promote this wonderful partnership that just that just <laughs> happened, and she's basically turning around and using it as a stage to say, "This is all well and good, but we're doing something really exciting over here." <laughs> it just it's amazing. The, the look on his face is just completely shocked. <laughs> you got to look it up. It's it's hilarious. All right. Quote, we're focused on being faithful to the comics, unquote, said Sanford Panich, president of Columbia Pictures and head of the Sunk. Some of that means go- moving backwards. The planned Silver and Black is split- splitting into solo efforts featuring the mercenary Silver Sable and burglar Black Cat into their own things. Uh, the later is expected to be the first to launch. Uh, writer-director Gina prince by the wood. By Bythewood, 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 Bithwood, Bithwood. That's the one. I think it's Bithwood. I, I, I've, this, this name is my nemesis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone in England is now shouting at their <laughs> their podcast listening device. Going, <laughs> yes, they are. I hear it's like a thousand voices shout out, and we're silenced by me not caring. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <Ow. laughs> 
is likely out of the picture. Thank God I'm saying that name again on Silver and Black. <laughs> Though will remain a producer on the Black Damn it and on the Black Cat and Silver Sable. The films. Black Damn it. <laughs> the Black. <laughs> I would watch a show called The Black Damn <laughs> TM folks, it's ours. <laughs> Prince Bythewood may be the first casualty of the sump. But there are sure to be many more to come in an attempt to launch a newish superhero universe. It's a Spider-Man universe without Spider-Man. So, coming to a theater hey, power near to you. Power yeah. to them. Right. Hey, like, you know what? Venom could be awesome. It's not, but... We don't know that yet. <laughs> we, we're, I'm not prejudging this movie. Yeah. Uh, it could be great. <laughs> I'm not going to set my expectations to the sky, but... Uh, could be good. <laughs> By the wood. I love that. <laughs> Weekend Geek. Huh? Bythewood? Bythewood. I'm not that far off. Hey, what happened to Bithwood? Yeah. Where is your Bithwood now? Ha ha. By the wood. By the wood. I got it. It's mine. I was r- rightish. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> How the fuck? It's Bithwood. All right, this next one. Uh, there's there's got to be some discussion on this because. Oh, I gotta do something. Shit. In a message to its members, obtained by the Hollywood Reporter, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced that, in addition to committing to a three-hour telecast that will include some presentation changes and a slightly earlier air date for the 2020 ceremony. Its Board of Governors voted Tuesday to add a new category to the annual Oscars telecast. Outstanding Achievement in Popular Film. There are no other details available about the award yet, including eligibility information, but the change is part of a continued effort by the Academy to keep the Oscars relevant in a changing world, quote-unquote. The ceremony's major category, specifically Best Picture, often highlight indie films and small-scale dramas. The popular film category arrives to give even more weight during each ceremony to the biggest films of the year at a time when movies like Black Panther in 2018 and Wonder Woman in 2017 are getting increasingly big pushes from their studios in an effort to earn some Academy gold. In some respects, this feels like a cynical attempt by the Academy to create an also-ran category that will appease moviegoers. Goaters? Those two. (laughs) We know very little right now about what how this category will work, who will be eligible. Popular films can be low-budget indies that caught fire at the box office. So, you know How the award will be framed in the overall telecast. What we do know, though, is that the Academy has just taken a major step in the direction of focusing on blockbusters, which are often viewed as a kind of art form unto themselves. The 91st Annual Academy Awards Honoring Film Achievements in 2018 will take place February 24th, 2019. Wow. So the popular category. Gentlemen, what do you think about this? I think they should hire you to say title... B- say Bythewood? No, make the new uh, title for the best picture category. Films you don't give a shit about! <laughs> <laughs> what was the running gag in uh, Naked Gun 33 and a third for the best picture? Was it the uh, sawdust and mildew? It's It's... It's just it's it's that pretentious nature of some of the films that get nominated for best picture. 
I remember watching Remains of the Day and the tears of boredom that I went through trying to get through that movie. I just, I, I feel like what they're doing with this is saying that these blockbuster movies have no heart and so they're trying to give them their own category to kind of appease the masses and say, okay, fine, well, we know that you guys really liked this but we don't trust your judgment. So here's a category for you. For you peons. And, and what <laughs> what bothers me about that is there's some really amazing performances in some of these films that turn out to be blockbusters. Um, there are some fantastic writing in these films that are certainly worthy of a nomination. And there is some emotional engagement you're drawn into these films gravitas i think exactly is thank you um wait when did I mean, that come out it's i thought i think it's 2019 it's, oh i mean this I, is a category of the movie that was this category is for gravitas i a, a great example DFX. just just from the past year black panther nobody expected black panther to be as good as it was mm. nobody well i mean it as far as oh, as far as box <laughs> office numbers sure sure wow and the, the studios were like, oh, well, we don't think this is going to garner a big audience, blah, 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 blah. And people went to it in droves. It was a very well-written film. It was really well-acted. And it really drew you in. And you had complex heroes and villains that totally were engaging. You, you, were, you were in the film. You were totally into it. And you've gone on about uh, Sir Patrick Stewart's yes. work in Logan. Absolutely. Yes, I mean, I'll agree with that one. Yeah, you know, I mean, time. you know, as somebody who has dealt with dementia on several occasions because it runs in my family and the heartbreak and a little bit in your roommate. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but Patrick Stewart should have at the very least gotten a best supporting nod for that because I remember vividly one of the moments with my mother when she was starting to be aware of the loss of her memory and how heartbreaking it was to watch her. And I had flashbacks to that while I was watching Logan. And it killed me. But coming out of the movie, I still appreciated it because it certainly brought to my attention that this is a man who takes his craft absolutely seriously no matter what the genre that he's acting in. And even the character of Logan was completely different than what we had seen before. That character was going through some shit like he hadn't been through before. His body, his health was failing him for the first time in centuries, depending on how you look at it. Because, I mean, at least a century. They didn't really establish how old he was in that particular film. And then how he had turned kind of cold with the loss of everyone around him that he cared about. And then having to deal with losing his newfound mentor that he didn't really have enough time with. And then having to try to deal with that kind of loss. So there were some amazing performances in that film. And yeah, you got to remember X-23. Yes. L no lines, really. Yeah. Just facial expressions and the eyes and the emotion in that face. That kid like, yeah. was acting far beyond her years. I yeah. mean, the, her performance was amazing as well. So those are just a couple of examples that should have 
gotten at least some attention from the Academy to look at, say, look, these are not just films that you can push aside because they're mainstream or because they have an audience that is not what you consider to be a refined audience. These are films you need to accept as more than what you're trying to belittle them by saying, oh, it's just a comic book film. I think also it's because there's so many of them, right? Like uh, 18 years ago when Lord sure. of the Rings, when Return of the King right. got nominated and won all those awards, that was that was a real achievement because it was a recognition that this blockbuster was... The trilogy was so incredibly well made and so so incredible, right? And that actually was a real testament to it. And and it it was rare for a blockbuster to hit that kind of level. And and now, especially with Marvel, they're just they're every movie just they're turning them they're turning them out left and right where they're really incredible quality movies not beyond just being blockbusters. Yeah. Yeah, they're more I mean, than A punches B. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Star Wars got nominated for Best Picture. Um, and it was funny because there was a bit of scandal there because it was like, well, that, you know, it's, that was, it's a popcorn film. It's just an adventure film. Um, when you look into the history of it, you realize that a lot of what was behind Star Wars getting that nomination was the technical achievement. Just the just the sheer incredible monumental feat that they had done in making that movie. Well, yeah, it's like Lucas saying, "I want to do this thing." Well, we don't have any way of doing that. It's like, well, let's figure out a way to exactly, do it. Exactly. Yeah. And ILM is born. You know, the biggest product. You know, special effects production house in the world right now. And it's, it's born out of a. I want to. I want to do this scene this way. Figure out how to do it for me. Yeah. And it it it's a pulp adventure film a la Flash Gordon right but the standard they were working against the bar that was set for them was 2001 right it was one of the interesting things I saw in a in a history of Star Wars thing is everybody apparently in in 76 when they were putting it together everyone was was aware of 2001 and thinking of 2001 because that was what they wanted and you're applying that kind of quality to essentially Flash Gordon. Right. I take umbrage at the fact that they want to make this new category, too. But what if it's done well? <laughs> nah. I have mixed feelings about it, too, because I, I kind of agree with Jeff. I think it's a bit dismissive. Yeah. But, uh... So you think the Academy Awards have run their course? It's Well, I... No. I think the Academy is a victim... Of its own pinky up bullshit. <laughs> Tell you know us how that's, you yeah. feel, yeah. Matt. Well, you know what? It, there's that's not a that's not a bad way of putting it, that's, Matt. Yeah. Because no. I mean, uh, in fact, there's an Adam ruins everything. A, a really great episode about how the awards are complete bullshit because it's not so much how good the actual films are that get nominated, but how much money the studios spend to get the various members of the Academy to pay more attention to their film. Right, the campaign. The, exactly, the campaign to get that film nominated, and then once it's nominated, saying, okay, now our film is the best of the nominations for Best Picture, Best Actor, etc. And 
one of the interesting things that's come out of this since that episode aired is some of the Academy members don't actually watch their screeners. They look at it, they go, okay, well, I know I've seen a few clips of this, or I've seen a few clips of that, and this looks good, and I have to vote, so, okay, this this yeah. is my best, best picture wow. nominee that I, that I like, and then they cast their ballot. And since a lot of it is done in secret, I mean, there are certain members of the Academy that it's no secret that they are members, but actually how they vote is still a bit of a mystery, you know, whether it's a paper ballot, they go online click it in etc now but russia hacks the oscars (laughs) (laughs) maybe but uh but yeah so i mean certain films come out certain films get nominated and people look at it and go oh well that from film totally deserves to be nominated without actually having seen it or you know maybe even that general audiences have not seen this film and i think also it's them not getting giving us as moviegoers, enough credit to determine what we do and don't like and whether they are actually deserving of a nomination in the categories that are available. So what in the history of well, at least modern Oscars, I'm trying to think of popular movies that actually won things. Lord of the Rings, for example. Titanic, that's one that would probably be in this category. Are there any others that you can think of? Uh, Avatar, be- right? For its technical shit? Yeah, I'm not talking technical. I'm talking things okay, that were in oh. like a best picture nomination. Okay. Quick, uh, Jeff, to the list. I just wonder uh, if you had any off the top of your head. Because at this point, I'm wondering if once this is established, will they have? Will that ever happen again? Will the popular movie winner also take best picture ever right. again? Are are they forever separated? Well, at this that's point? that's the other thing, right? Then maybe. Um, well, I mean, I know Moonlight won for Best Picture last year, and that actually ended up being pretty popular as far as... I, I, I don't remember what it went up against, but I remember... Well, I mean, it, well, I mean, it, um, I mean Shape of Water, that, that's a genre picture yes. when it comes down to it. Yeah, it, was, it that, went up against Shape of Water, Dunkirk. It's going to be interesting to watch going forward. Yeah. So, we'll see what they do with it. But on the next story, in commemoration of... Marvel Studios' 10th anniversary, Marvel and Disney are staging a week-long movie marathon event at IMAX theaters nationwide to bring back every one of the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel revealed the epic event Friday on its website, promising five consecutive days of film, beginning with 2008's Iron Man and continuing with all 20 MCU movies in order of their original theatrical release followed by two days of screenings themed around Origins and team-ups. All new to IMAX will be Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, and Captain America, The First Avenger, none of which ever has been released in the larger format. Included in the marathon are all three of this year's MCU releases, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Dubbed Marvel Studios' 10th Anniversary Film Festival, tickets for the Ultimate MCU Binge, have already gone on sale. The festival starts on August 30th and runs through the catalog until September 3rd before switching over to the 4th and 5th for the themed Origins and Team-Ups screenings. So get in there and get some IMAX Marvel in your life. I I will say, um, having seen uh, both Ant-Man and then Ant-Man and the Wasp on that larger format, 
it's really the only way to see that film. Oh yeah. I mean, it's incredible, you know, how much detail you notice when they especially when they go into the micro universe and I mean, I'm not even talking when they go into the quantum universe, but when he shrinks down and he's underground, you know, the incredible detail they put into some of the uh you know, the miniature versions of the, you know, the ants and the, the the various underground areas that he's going through. And when you're conf- when you're like sitting that close to the screen and it's enveloping your entire field of vision, it's really damn impressive. Did you see it in IMAX or just um, a large I format? I saw it in the IMAX competitor DFX. Okay. Which that's not has quite a, the screen. Well, it has a lot of the same elements. It's that sharper picture. It's that, you know, taller and wider. That screen you hear, sounds. rather taller than wider, excuse that, me. That scream you hear, folks, is Professor Biggs saying, <laughs> You guys don't have real IMAX. You have fake Max. You have fake Max. Well, unfortunately, he hates Vegas IMAX. Screen. Well, and unfortunately, most IMAX films aren't actual IMAX anymore anyway, the way they're produced. Yad. Ha ha. Professor Take Biggs. That, Biggs. Take that, pinky up. Yeah. <laughs> huh? A lot of them are shot on 4K digital and. They letterbox it for the regular screen, but then when they convert it to IMAX, DFX, XD that they have at... Uh, no one's going to go there. No, oh, okay. Just, and he's <laughs> gone. I was, and and I was we hesitant. don't even see in 4K. I saw that on YouTube. That's right. But, uh, yeah. That's so, right. So all they do is... So they, that is right. They <laughs> remove the letterboxing so you get a, a taller picture. So you're just seeing more of the frame that they shot the film in. Then what about 8K? That's yeah. Holy, I, I, you just I blew just, my mind. I just, I just like one K, and this that guy right over there. Oh, <laughs> <Look at> that. <laughs> yeah. That's not what you said earlier. Oh, wow. Oh, well, wow. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Just, just air that publicly, Jesus. Jeff. I had way to a, ruin the moment. Way to fart in the room. Yeah. <laughs> way to pillow the the love. God damn, Andy. <laughs> All right, a little sadness, of course. Oscar-nominated cinematographer. We are an That was in. sad. Yeah. You're blowing your line. A little pathetic. That is still tinged with You were waiting. You were waiting to use that line for Private Eyes. I set it up earlier in the episode. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting. As you're wont to do. <laughs> Oscar-nominated cinematographer Richard H. Klein, probably best known for his work in 1976 version of King Kong, Died last Tuesday. He was 91. Born in 1926, Klein came from a long line of cinematographers. After the Navy, Klein became a cameraman assistant and operator on over 200 films before transitioning to the role of cinematographer. His first cinematography credit is on 1966 Chamber of Horrors. His second, Camelot. In 1967, earned him his first Oscar nomination. Camelot. His second Oscar nomination came in 1973 for King Kong. Throughout his career, Klein did cinematography for dozens of genre films, including The Andromeda Strain in 1971, Soylent Green, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Death Wish 2, Howard the Duck, and My Stepmother is an Alien. It's kind of going downhill, isn't it? His final credit was on 1997 Rodney Dangerfield comedy Meet Wally Sparks. There yeah, you he go. really went down. Yeah, it just holy went from. Cha- well, I guess if you started with Chamber of Horrors, it's kind of ended the same way. Oh. <laughs> also, actor. The bell curve. <laughs> also, <laughs> actor Robert Dix 
uh, best known for his role as Commander Gray in 1956's sci-fi classic Forbidden Planet. Died last Monday. He was 83. Born in 1935, the son of Oscar nominee Richard Dix. Wouldn't that be Dick Dix? <laughs> yes, it would. Okay. Dixon. <laughs> Dixon? This. Dixon was a contract player with MGM when he turned 18. The seven-year contract was canceled after two years when the proliferation of television wiped out all the contract players. Dix appeared in a number of small, uncredited roles in 1955 with his role in Forbidden Planet being his first major role alongside Robbie the Robot. He was killed by the perimeter-zapping ID monster in the film. Not in real life. Dix went on to have a steady career, largely made up of cheap horror movies and one-off appearances in TV westerns and cop shows. Uh, he played a detective in 1958's Frankenstein's Daughter, for example. And in 69, Dix appeared in all three Al Adams B movies, first as a member of a biker gang in Satan's Sadists, then as a werewolf or, or a serial killer, depending on which version of the movie that you see, in Blood of Dracula's Castle, finally in Five Bloody Graves, which Dix also wrote. His final film credit was the 1973 James Bond film Live and Let Die, in which bon, it, 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 Live it, and Let Die, bon, in which Dix bon. had a small and credited he had a small, uncredited role after running into his old friend Roger Moore while in New Orleans. Roger Moore. Yeah, Sir um, Moore. Folks, if you haven't seen Forbidden Planet, definitely do yourself a favor and watch that. That's one of my favorite classic sci-fi films. There you go. Nice I have it old on school. Yeah. And, and then watch out for the son of Dick Dix. <laughs> I, uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen stars in that, and that was back when he was... Just a Louis lad. As, no, I mean, uh, it's back when he, man. Was, he was leading man material. In fact, yeah. he had done comedy in his past, but they kept putting him in all these serious roles, yes. which is why it was such a pr- surprise for a lot of uh, moviegoers when he did Airplane, because he was still kind of playing that straight, serious role that he'd become known for. But Airplane's classic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, it's, it's some of the... Uh, I'll, I'll I'll be the first to admit some of these special effects are still a little cheesy nowadays. They were then, Com- but back then they were state of the art. And oh, you mean so I, I thought I thought we were still talking about airplane? <laughs> oh, you, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, Killing werewolf planet, graves. <laughs> no, Forbidden Planet. You know, some of the effects are a little dated, but the story well, is is well, a lot great. of fun. It's great. <laughs> it's one of it's one of my favorites. I still I remember have watching it, on, it with Vernon the first time. Oh no, he was so disillusioned because he was like. That's in Star Trek. Star Trek stole that. Star Trek took that. Oh, my God. This is all Star Trek. This is where Star Trek... Oh, Ron and Barry! And it was so damn funny. He was just ruined. Uh, I actually have it on Blu-ray on the shelf over there. I, in fact, it's probably a good time to watch it again. It's a great movie. Uh, regarding old school, I just want to quickly tell... I'm, I'm in physical therapy to uh, fix my shoulder, which has been giving me pain. And there's this wonderful young tech girl who sets me up with the TENS machine to zap my shoulder and get me ready for the day's uh, exercises. And we'll talk about movies torture? and stuff. Huh? <laughs> the day's torture? Yeah. <laughs> and, and we'll talk about movies. She, uh, you know, uh, we slowly, over the time, got into what movies you like, and I was... 
And then I'm then she mentioned anime and I I was like I like Bleach and she's like oh yeah and she's telling me what to subscribe to to get all the cool anime channels Crunchyroll Funimation blah 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 and at at one point she was like so what'd you do this weekend and that weekend Vernon had come over and we had watched. Uh, a bunch of uh, cop buddy cop movies. Oh, okay. Now, um, I'm going to mention another story a little later, but one of them was a movie called Freebie and the Bean. Oh, God. 1974, starring Alan Alda and James Caan. It is actually a precursor to the 1980s action comedy uh, movies, buddy cop movies. It is funny as hell, well-written. They're both supremely good actors, but it was edgy humor for 1974, which means there isn't a hell of a lot in it that you can get away with now. It's a movie that would offend the living shit out of a lot of people, and, and there's no way it would be made. And, and you know, just, I was amazed to find a Blu-ray. Oh, wow. But they actually oh, sold wow. it on Blu-ray. They've actually made a Blu-ray of it. And it's a beautiful transfer. The movie looks great. And it, it, it's got some of the most incredible chase scenes for cars. But it is, you, you have to check your thin skin at the door because, wow. So I mentioned to her, yeah, we watched some buddy cop movies. I mean, uh, you know. Like from the and she's like, oh, you mean? And she mentioned something recent, and I was just like, oh, you know, a little, a little further back, seventy, you know, nineteen eighties, seventies, and she goes, oh, really old school? <laughs> and I was just like Jesus, man. And it's like, yeah, you know what? She probably wasn't even alive in the eighties, yeah, much less the seventies. It's just crazy. The the other side note about Freebie and the Bean, my mom loved that movie. She loved Alan Arkin, and you know. Oh, because okay, I thought you said Alan Alda earlier, and I'm yeah, like, I, I don't remember Alan Alda yeah. being in the film, but maybe I'm just remembering it wrong. Um, okay, thank she, you, Alan she, Arkin. Yeah, she loved Alan Arkin, and uh, when that movie hit cable, we watched it over and over and over again. Um, and and it, it actually is drilled into my head, uh, right down to the theme song. And when I discovered the movie and got it and watched it, I flashed back a whole bunch to watching it with my mom. And it was so weird, because that night when I went to sleep, I shit you not, I had a dream where I ran into my mom, and I told her, oh, God, Mom. Earlier today, I watched Freebie and the Bean. It was so much fun. And she's like, oh, God, I remember when we used to watch that. It was the funkiest fucking dream. It's very sweet. Really weird. It was very weird. But, the yeah, so old school. Old school. Old school. Yeah, nice and old, you know. Way back. Way back in the 70s. Let's mm. forget, 2001 Space Odyssey happened... 17 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the the film was shot 50 plus years ago. (laughs) Rebel Wilson from Pitch Perfect has optioned the movie rights to Crowded, a comic book soon to be published by Image Comics. The actress intends to produce and star in the movie adaptation. Wilson will develop and produce the film under her Camp Sugar 
production company with Oni Entertainment on board to produce. Written by Christopher Sabella and drawn by Rio Stein and Ted Brandt, Crowded takes place in a future where the world runs on the economy of job shares and apps. One app called Reaper is massively popular crowdfunding platform to fund assassinations. Charlie Ellison reads a nor- leads a normal, quiet life and she- until she discovers she's the target on Reaper with a multi-million dollar bounty on her head. So with all of Los Angeles out to kill her now, Charlie hires the only person she can afford, Vita, the lowest rated bodyguard on the Defend app. <laughs> the two of them team up to take down Charlie's would-be assassins and find out who wants her dead before the campaign's 30-day period expires. Uh, Sabella will serve as condu- uh, consulting producer. Search for a writer to adapt the comic is underway. Uh, the first issue of Crowded uh, was available as of August 15th. That sounds like a good idea. I like that. It's an interesting uh, story. Very contemporary Very contemporary. Kind of reminds me of the original uh, story by Richard Bachman of The Running Man. Right. Where in that story, unlike the Arnold Schwarzenegger version, one guy is out hiding amongst the United States and all of the United States is out looking for him as Wasn't he able to go anywhere in the world too? Probably. Like, and it's they, been a while. And, the, and the, the stalkers could... So he could literally hide anywhere but the, and the stalkers were out to get him if I remember. Yeah, you're probably right. Wow. I mean, it's been 20 years since That I, sounds different. Like 25 years different. since I read the, the book but uh, wow, it's actually been more than that because I read it in high school. Did, did they still dre- no cr- dress in the electric costume and shoot lightning bolts? Dynamo and, and, and wear uh, whitey tidies? No, I don't no. think so. Jim Brown carrying a... Flamethrower? No. Yeah, flamethrower, right? Yeah. One guy had and a saw. Yeah, yeah. Buzz saw. Buzz saw. Dynamo. Yeah. Wow. Say uh, these names oh, with golly. reverent pride. I did not know <laughs> yes. that. Yeah. I just watched it the other night. I mean, not to take anything away from the movie. The movie is for what it was. It's fun. It's fun. It's it's one of the first Schwarzenegger style movies. I mean, it kind of became its own category, really. Schwarzenegger you know. says pithy comments yeah. after lot killing. A lot of one liners. <laughs> How about the light? What happened to Buzzsaw? He had to split. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's you know, that that eighties era action popcorn film. I always think of Commando, though. But the book is really good too. It's a short read, too. It's not a super long book. Yeah, all the, all the Bachman books are novellas until he was discovered. Then they became novels. In fact, ah! I, I remember <laughs> buying it at the bookstore and finding it. and and Because I, I was looking for Richard Bachman, and I couldn't find it. And it was over on a shelf, and it said Stephen King. And then it said in small words, writing as Richard Bachman. And then it said The Running Man, now a major motion picture. Was it Canon Films, I think, at the time? One of Wouldn't those. surprise me. Seems like real Canon fodder. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you that one, Mike. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I like Kay's review. <laughs> A drama about the story behind Orson Welles' infamous War of the Worlds radio broadcast is in the works. Titled, We Interrupt This Program, the film will be directed by Bharat Naluri? <laughs> I think. Oh, poor Torgo. He, d- he directed The Man Who Invented Christmas. I don't know that one either. And focused on Wells' conflict with producer John Hausman, who nearly shut down the entire production that tricked some listeners into believing that a genuine alien invasion was taking place in the United States. 
Wasn't that also an Adam Ruins Everything? Yeah. Where they th- talked about... There's only how- a few that... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very few. Uh, staged, blown out of proportion. Yeah, staged on Halloween night, uh, 1938. Wells began narrating H.G. Wells' classic science fiction story as a simple radio play that soon turned into a full-on phony news broadcast about Martians landing in Grover's Mill, New Jersey, and wrecking devastation with their tripod war machines. Using the personas of a reporter, scientist, and survivor, Wells was able to sustain the believability of the illusion. This caused a panic amid a small section of the public, although their feelings turned to a bit of outrage in the following days after they realized it wasn't real. But I I love that they're doing a drama about the story behind War of the Worlds. Because, let's face it, War of the Worlds has been told a goddamn lot of times. And there's two productions currently in the works. Yeah, it's that is that story is amazing at the number of ways that it has been retold and how much it has changed. Like the actual book. I don't know if anybody has read the uh the original book out there besides I Torgo have. and I. Oh, okay. Um cuz doesn't it take it takes place in the 1800s in the book, right? Late 1800s. Late 1800s. So when you're reading it, you're very aware that Some Wells book. is writing it Somebody escapes in a horse, horse and carriage. Yes, exactly. Right. And, you know, these strange cylinders falling from the sky and, you know, the tripods raising up out of there. And then the, the film where, you know, it's not tripods, it's these hovering uh, vessels with they the had heat ray. like magnetic rays yes. that, that, made a, that were like a tripod because yeah. there was three of them. It was always funny. Uh, so yeah, and 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 it's funny because I've liked every version of it that I've seen, like even up the up to including the Steven Spielberg, even that weird version. ass TV show version. Yeah, the TV version was really weird. Uh, that's probably the most far from. It was well, a sequel the, to the 50s yeah. It was movie. A, it was a sequel to the fifties film. You're absolutely right. So I, I I in fact I remember at the time when that came out, several of my uh, you know friends in school going I'm like. I don't get this series. It doesn't, nothing makes sense. Like, well, it spun out of the, the classic movie, and they're like, what? And I even had to tell them, you know, you got to find the, it was a 56, right? 56, that's so old. That was about as long then as the but yeah. Francis and the Bean or whatever it is to now. <laughs> Freaky and the Bean. <laughs> but, uh, my favorite is the uh, the rock opera version. Oh, oh, I can't remember. Who's the name of that? Uh, uh, oh, Tim Powell. Oh, I can't remember. David Shire. I can't remember who did, but yes. Uh, Richard the, uh, Burton narrated <laughs> yes, it. Yes, it is so good. I mean, it's huge in England. England loves that version of, and it's and it tells the story of the original one, the, the classic yeah. late 1800s version. Yep. Uh, I stand corrected, 1953, not 56. Oh, well. Sorry. God damn it, Jeff. You should have just said the mid-50s. Yeah. Thunder Child. That's, that's thund- how I do it. That's why Thunder I say like 1800s. Is, uh, I can't say it. Destroying when going yeah. after one of them and actually knocks down one of the tripods and then the others come up and just wax it. And what's, what's crazy about that one, I know we've talked a little bit about it in a, in a past episode, is that it's not a musical. It's the musical version of the story. Wells will narrate yeah. and then it is an instrumental. And then a narration, then instrumental. There's, it's not like that's a modern musical, hmm. but they have staged it. And if you, and there's, you can see the staged version on YouTube. Check it out; it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to check that out. But I will say, and I'm very glad for this, that one of the productions 
uh, currently in the works, and I think this is the one that's being done at the BBC, is they are finally adapting the original version so we get to see it in oh. its established timeline from the novel. That's actually pretty cool. That's what they need to do with all of these. You know, I, I mentioned that a friend of mine had the brilliant idea of you know, they should like do a series on James Bond, period, in the period that it was written, in the period that is supposed to take place, and like things like War of the World. Uh, you that, know, that makes perfect sense. A period pieces are super popular right yeah, now. I mean, the, a lot of people the are audiences into them. will accept them. Yeah, and War of the Worlds, the Time Machine. Uh, you had that one with Rob. Taylor, mm-hmm. um, that very steampunky kind of create helps create. Oh, the I thought steampunk- you were going to say the one with. Uh, uh, oh, I just totally blanked out on his name from the nineties. No, 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 no. The uh, I'm talking about um, the one that was it. I it's like sixties, right? I think George Pal. I think you're right. Did it, and uh, yeah, that was that was period, and it was it. You know, I mean. He goes into the future, so it wasn't period for very long. Yeah, time machine movies can only be period. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> the t- oh, but, I'm sorry. 2002 with uh, Guy Pierce. Yeah, yeah, that was memorable. Couldn't think of his name. Yeah. Well, but, it, it was a period piece. I mean, it did place take place in in. It did. The I 1800s. actually never saw it. So it's okay. That's why he when never he saw when it. he goes into the future is where it gets starts getting weird, and you have all these devolved humans and well that's kind of yeah. the more I mean it, it isn't it is in the book a lot of the stuff is in the book it's just the way they presented it I don't know it just wasn't, okay. wasn't very interesting anyway all right okay so look forward to Victorian War of the Worlds finally yeah that'll be dun, cool dun, dun. and stay tuned for the movie about the story behind the thing with the radio and look up the musical version you know what we need to do what's that are you just turning some Iron Maid in there um, if not, you should be. No, you were, weren't you? Thin Lizzy. Oh. Uh, what's his You're name? Linux. I heard, I heard the... Uh, uh, kind of, sort of. Th- uh, I forget his name. Linux. Um, Annie Linux. Uh, played. Uh, was like guitar and okay. also one of, the, one of the voices for that. I thought that. Ziggy plays guitar. Never See, mind. he's going to do this all night. Andy, we miss you. <laughs> wow. Liar. And, and ladies and gentlemen, Matt said that. Wow. <laughs> Woo. All right, let's do some red light, green light, gentlemen. I got a lot of them. Red light, green light. So, and, and Matt's back. He needs to play some red light, green light. Well, there's four of us. Torgo, That's right. Torgo has, oh, has been participating we, lately. We, we, can, we can throw it to the monkeys. Although, did the monkeys even bite on the no, last one? Didn't touch it. Weren't interested. The fuck is it with you people? <laughs> We're just not that interesting anymore. I, yeah. I guess not. Are we? Humph. They, Humph. Our, our opinions are our own, apparently. Crumpf. That's right, goddammit. All I mean, right. Jesus, we got their fucking opinions on who to run to during a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I think the part that you missed the most was that the reason they flocked to Andy is not because of his knowledge of the underground in Vegas and all of that. It's because he would be the ideal decoy that would allow the rest of us to get away. Well, he I, would he I, would stumble and 
I brought that part up. He would stumble or spill something on himself that would cause all of the zombies to flock towards him, and the rest of us could get away. Andy does not know how to be not animated. Yes. So he, yeah, he's he's a quick distraction. He also doesn't know how to not knock things over when you're trying. To oh my sneak, God! Can to sneak shh, through shh, an area. They're right in the next room, but be very quiet. And <laughs> there's Andy with his foot in a bucket. <laughs> Fucking run! <laughs> he, he's knocking over empty paint cans, a place where there's no painting happening anywhere. And, and, and then, and then the zombies swarm him, and he's knocking over zombies. <laughs> he comes out and he's alive. He's yeah. like, "Wait for me, no, no, no. guys!" That 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 would that would be the end of the scene in the movie. It's like we all get outside and we're all like bent over and go, "Jesus, I thought we were dead." And then Andy comes wandering out and like, "Whoo, that was a close scrape." <laughs> and like, "Are you bit?" He's like, "No, ironically not. The yeah. can I stuck the like can a- I stuck my foot in." I was able to shove in the zombie's mouth that was about to bite me, and then the chain fell from the ceiling. One fell over me and and bit another one, and then they got to fighting. I I mean, I got a little bruise, but I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Then he'd brush uh, the uh, powdered sugar off his shirt. (laughs) No, no, no. No, the NEC. This is the only antidote? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Drop it. (laughs) No, no, see, that's. That would be the. That would be the, the. the exclamation mark on that because you're right one of us will have gotten bit he's completely harmed unharmed and then he's like oh wait i actually got some zombrex for you here whoops crack oh oh, oh. i never realized Please tell me that was not the last one that was the last one fuck i, I never realized there is a full zombie movie around andy yeah yeah that's impressive no wonder you want to follow him in apocalypse jesus <laughs> All right. It's, yeah, it, it's it'd be our own version of Shaun of the Dead. Fair. Little little comedy, little drama, little, uh, and little a lot horror. of crying, and a, <laughs> yeah. lot, a lot of crying probably on our part, definitely on my part. All right, so you you uh, we've changed red light green light a little bit. I'm playing now. Okay. I, I am now one of the executives. Okay. He got All tired right. of being left out. Yeah, I, the pitch man. There's I wanted I just wanted to throw my opinions on some of these. So. All right, gentlemen. All right, we got some more uh, pitches sent to us. So, uh, my director's hat. Yep. So we're going to I'm going to read through some of these. We're going to decide whether or not we want to uh, back these projects or not. Give it a red light or a green light. All right, here's the one, first one on here. This one's Showtime. Showtime announced they'll be moving forward with their Halo TV series, ordering 10 episodes. Showtime's president of programming, Gary Levine, and CEO David Nevins both answered questions from reporters confirming Master Chief, Halo's most well-known character, will be a main character in this new series. Kyle Killen from Lone Star will serve as the writer for the show, in addition to executive producing alongside Steven Spielberg. Levine said they would work specifically to hire a writer outside of genre, despite the show being firmly in the sci-fi camp. It was also revealed during a panel that while the TV show is a new story, the team is working with Microsoft 343 to make sure they don't disrupt canon. The Halo TV show isn't in production yet, so it probably won't be broadcast till 2020. Gentlemen, red light, green light on Halo. Green light. I'm a little scared about the writer outside of genre, but uh, green light. All right, that's that's giving you a little trepidation. And me too, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, 
Because they tend not to... I don't know. They have like, oh, I have my vision of this. No, you should... It's a sci-fi. Well, but, I mean... But, yeah. I, but I kind of take that whole uh, airplane aspect. Yeah. They bought their ticket. They knew what they were getting into. If this is Halo, it's not like the writer's going to come in and write, you know, Kramer versus Kramer. It's, it's Halo. Well, and, and since 343 is going to have creative input on this... Um now, it's not saying they have creative input. They're just working with them to make sure it doesn't inter- disrupt canon. Mm. So, huh. I mean, they are using Master Chief, so it's not right. like that character is ever in danger. True danger. Well, and he's supposed to have a whole series of adventures prior to the... Sure. the ha- You know, to him being stranded on the Halo ring, the first one. So, ah, uh, hmm... Now, I've never read any of the Halo novels that came out of here. They're pretty good. I read a couple of them. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. Yeah, okay. Um, even some of the comics that they put out were pretty good. I'm going to give this a cautious green light, because I really do like the Halo storyline, and I would like to see the further adventures of Master Chief on the, on the I you see, know, pay channel. I see. Where they could actually do something good with cheesy, it. Cheesy, campy CGI for the Covenant. I don't it's think possible. so. I don't think so. I think they'll... Probably not because it's showtime, but it's possible. It's showtime! I mean, if they're going to go for camp, which I doubt they're going to go for camp... No, it doesn't sound like Then it. I don't need, know why they'd have a cheesy-looking CGI to it. Not when well, they don't have to anymore. It's not yeah. The 90s. It's not the 90s. Before Halo. <laughs> I green-lighted, it too. Okay? It's not so. your father's Halo. I'm greenlighting it because it's Halo. There's a huge fan base. It's going to make us yeah. some money. It's space simple, opera. Simple as that. Blowing shit up. Yeah, and maybe this will finally make me interested in Halo. Probably not. Probably not. But I'll give it a shot. You're you're a stick in the mud. I just it's just not a story that really ever grabbed me. I'm I the liked same way. it a lot actually. I'm the same way. So. All right. So green lights all around. A few trepidatious, but there's money in this. We're greenlighting it. All right, red light, green light, gentlemen. Sci-Fi has picked up Dark Horse's Resident Alien comic series by Peter Hogan and Steve Parkhouse for a pilot that could lead to a potential series order. The project is a joint venture between Universal Cable Productions, Dark Horse Entertainment, and Amblin TV. The alien in question is named Harry, and he finds himself in a small Colorado town. Once there, Harry assumes the identity of the town's doctor and, quote, begins to wrestle with the moral dilemmas of his secret mission on Earth, ultimately asking the question, are human beings worth saving, unquote. No. He can use his, well, that, that was simple. He, uh, hey. he can use his te- telepathic abilities to trick humans into ignoring his alien form while he passes the time solving murders and evading the government. Hogan and Parkhouse's comic began in 2012. Resident Alien is the first pilot sci-fi has chosen from its 2018 development slate of possible shows. Okay, guys. Wait, wait, wait. So he uses telepathic trickery to fool the average town folk. That he looks human. And he doesn't work on a government agent? Why is he running from the government? Do they have, like, Man, defense mechanisms? Powers. The government always no, has No, there's like an that. alien out there. They just can't find him. Yeah, and, and powers. Okay, too. I rush in, FBI agent. Where's the alien? You're the alien, but you're tricking me. Okay, he's not the yeah. alien. He's a human. It's going to work a little bit. Powers have to have limitations to be interesting. If they, I guess, so. yeah. 
I mean, not saying the writers realize this. Who knows? But I, I would assume they would. But uh, I'm going to green light it on this one caveat. And that is if the alien is looks like an alien for the whole time for the audience, that he doesn't look human unless we're seeing through the eyes of the nope. people themselves. Yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. I like that. I like your I like the. I love the uh, idea. And other, no. and other right. than that, he looks like Mac and me. Yeah, no. Because from a, you know, cost yep. standpoint. Yeah. Jeff called it. <sighs> Yeah, they're gonna make yeah, they're yeah, gonna yeah. make him look human ninety percent of the time. But I'm not interested. Maybe in his human form, you have like colored contacts or something. Now he uses like. his telepathy. Yes. So, what about when somebody takes a picture or live streams him? Ah, that's mm. a good question. Cameras. That yeah. is a good question. Maybe yeah, cameras too. Yeah, may- maybe he's. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he just shows up fuzzy Dracula style or something. I don't know, man. I'll, it, it's a pilot. I'll green light a pilot any day of the yeah. fucking week. I'll green light it. Yeah. Now, now this, let's pretend it's going to go full series here. That's just Why? Because, Why do you have to spoil it? Because we have to go and see if this does this have legs. I, I don't know. In that know. case, red, if it's going to go a full. Probably not. He's probably going to yeah. be, well, I, I know. He may have legs. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he... It, it, I think your idea is great, Torgo, and now the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of disappointed because you know it's going to be some human guy talking about how he's an alien. We've already seen this in Roswell. Red red light. I mean, yeah. they'll probably do the occasional... Well, yeah. They'll show, that, you know, they'll show him. They'll, they'll be the obligatory, you here's know, the, the scene this week where he looks like what he is. This is kind of like Starman, except he's judging us. Yeah. The, the quantum leap effect where he looks at himself in the mirror and... Maybe size or whatever about how he looks. If he looks like the creature from Mac and Me, then yes. <laughs> wow. It's got to be at least that ridiculous. That film was awful. Yes, but the creature design is horribly wonderful. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Defeated Jeff. All right. How about this one? This one came across my desk. A reboot of the hit 80s TV series Alf. Is in the works. Oh, no. <laughs> the project would the reboot the hit NBC sitcom, which ran for four seasons from 86 to 90. The project is being developed by Warner Brothers. ALF, short for Alien Life Form, is the acronym of Gordon Shumway, a benign orange furball of extraterrestrial origin whose spaceship from the planet Melmac upended in the Tanner's family's daily routine forever when it crash lands in their garage. Taking up residence with the Tanners and hiding from the U.S. government's sinister alien task force, the housebound Alf immediately introduces the irony-challenged family to an incessant barrage of hot takes and sass, endearing him to Willie and Kate and their two children, the teenage Lynn and the younger brother Brian. Voiced by puppeteer and series co-creator Paul Fusco, Alf ended his 102-episode run in March of 1990. Early reports haven't revealed where the new series might land in the digital dial, or TV dial for that matter, nor whether Fusco would be attached to the reboot. Huh. So ALF, potentially without the original, so a, a clean slate reboot. Nope. Hmm. Leave it in the past. You don't think it has uh, something for no, today? I'm just saying, 
Alf is so good. Just don't touch it. I don't want to remember like a, a failed reboot. Alf is so good. He yeah, says. <laughs> I liked it. I I, I watched up. it a lot as a kid too. But I, I, I look back on it and go, it was oh, not I a look, great. It was not a great series. <laughs> I just remember what, my my rose tinted goggles. Well, I mean, occasionally <laughs> I have memories of the of the series, and I'm like, wow, I just remembered not only was that not a good series, that was pushing the bounds of good quality at the time. I'll Some of a, the jokes. At uh, the time, it was something new. Yeah, it no, was something nothing new. Nothing really like that. Maybe Mork and Mindy was about as close as we had. I, I, I want to say Red Light because I think... I don't know that it is a story that can be brought into yes, it can. current time. Oh, here we go. Okay. you have Hot takes and sass about what? An illegal alien? Oh, I see. You're, you're giving this some gravitas. We're bringing the gravitas back. I yeah. think I think he's giving it some Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ah. No, you see, Bob, I'm not gonna there's say. A song by, there's a song by Genesis. I'm not called say. Illegal Alien Man. Hey. <laughs> I'm not gonna say. Andy, come home. I'm not going to say it. I'm not saying it. But, uh, I yeah. I have a few callbacks today. You, awesome. you know, you want to do some satire mm-hmm. and and some commentary. It's You you can make some commentary about the uh, immigrant experience, the illegal, the undocumented experience. Uh, let the alien task force, you know, substitute for ICE. <coughs> And and you know wait just, wait just the alien task force or would it be the space force? <sighs> Listen, we're gonna build a wall around Earth and we're gonna make Melmac pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. See, see, proof of concept. Yes, proof okay. of concept, right there, folks. Matt did it. I watched this sci-fi series. They had this thing called the Dyson Sphere that they built around a planet. There you go. It was going to be amazing. We're going to do that, and we're going to make Melback pay for it. Green light. (laughs) Uh, You know what? Uh, I was really fenced with this. Uh, No, not now. But, yeah. You're you're on it, aren't you? If, you know, if it takes this track, I'm I'm kind of on board. I think I'm still a red light on this. I'm sorry. (laughs) Green light. I still am red light. All right. So we got two reds and two greens. Monkeys half and half. Get off your lazy asses and start typing, you goombs. Get your ass to Mars. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, you Alf. Plebs. We're throwing it to you. All right. We got one more. One more here. Uno mas. Red light, green light. Guys, this one's on my desk. Uh, last one, though. Then we can go hit the bars. And Flux. Sci-fi dystopian weirdness based on Peter Chung's animated short series is coming back to MTV where it originally aired, this time as a live-action series. The assassin thriller ran for three animated seasons back on MTV in the early to mid-1990s. Jeff Davis, showrunner of Teen Wolf, will be writing the drama as well as executive producing alongside The Walking Dead's Gail Ann Hurd, who also produced the film version. The live-action series will take fans to the biohacking rebels attempting to save humanity from some totalitarian baddies, all while Ian Flux becomes one of science fiction's coolest spy assassins, unquote. That was the quote apparent there. Okay. So... Ian Flux, live action, back on MTV with the wolf guy running it. Red light. 
I'm also red light. Wow. The cynicism in this room, Torgo. I I just didn't find the original. I mean, I watched it all the time, and I, I, I don't know why I kept watching it, because it really wasn't all that interesting once you tra- kindly started to figure out what the story was supposed to, you the storyline was. I'm kind of with you on this. I mean, I loved Liquid Television back yeah. in the day, and uh, all the weird happenings in there but frankly for me the most interesting part of ian flux is when the eyelashes capture the fly and that's yeah. that's pretty much it for me if the show's just about eye, eyelash venus fly traps <laughs> i'm i'm on board i guess hackers going up against the totalitarian regime yeah, bio biohackers yeah i saw mr robot what about it yeah exactly with a chick. Oh, okay. Shooting stuff. All right. See? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Robot that. <laughs> Motherfucker. A, a, a sassy assassin? That's yeah. right. Wait, wait. Is, <laughs> does she have sassy hot the taste? assassin? <laughs> oh, my God. It'd be so great. <laughs> uh, here, I'm, I'm here to assassinate your uh, your leadership. Yeah. Um, uh, which way do I? Oh, I see a cat. I'm going to eat your cat first. All right, so if I'm hearing this right, if we make Alf and Flux, we have a show. All right. Alf and <laughs> Flux. Alf, Alf and Flux. All right, we're hitting the bars. Yeah. What do you think? Write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And again, a big thank you to Gaming Mill. Thank you, Gaming. For this week's music. I've yet to hear it, so I don't know. You're going to love it. <laughs> You're going to love it. Okay. And it's going to start after the end here. But until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Maple Leaf Matt. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. And next week, we don't have Andy again, so it's going to be a lot of oh, fun. God. It's going to be perfect. No Andy. Oh, um, another unfunny episode. I, I think Andy's back. God week. damn yeah, it. he's only missing one episode. Oh, we'll be funny again. Oh, shit. Yay. Make America funny again. Maffa. <laughs> gonna be huge there's something quite worrying going on here who is this maple leaf mat the man that's stolen the pole show something quite sinister and something quite frightening but I do want to get to the bottom of this maple leaf mat he doesn't like goose because he don't clock but he does like a moose because he knows he can, well... I need to watch my language because my mum listens to this podcast. The Match Show! With maple leaf syrup. Tries to run the show. No, but oh no.
Why did you keep looking at things funny? Just because he thinks it's a bunny? That makes no sense, but it's sort of right that this is all improvisation. That wasn't a guitar, that was a noise of some Canadian animal that he was taking advantage of. I'm sure he'll agree. And I've got no idea what to say anymore because this is all improvised. And I've recorded this for far too long. Maple leaf, my heart. Maple leaf, my heart. Oh, maple leaf, with your show that you've stolen from a guy that I sort of used to know. Maple leaf, mad, maple leaf, mad. Maple leaf, mad, maple leaf, mad. Maple leaf, mad, maple leaf, mad. Maple leaf, mad. Let's see how far you can fall now. Can you feel yourself? Are you on the way to the depths of hell? I don't believe in that sort of thing. But if I did, that's probably where you're headed right now. And you don't even talk about wrestling. Maple leaf mad. Take your syrup, take your mooses and a goose if you want, and take it right down with you because that's where you belong, the stealing Paul's show. It's Paul's show. Even though you want to call it Maple Leaf Mads Maple Leaf Mads Maple Leaf Macho I'm going to leave now because I've got concussion from the fall I had a few days ago This took me bloody ages to record um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, and all of you guys on the map show, on the still listen to you regularly. Take care.